You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. know what the imagination now everybody has changed now they're getting so uh creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do man it's, it's this is the best i've seen yeah when you jump that damn high you got a lot of time to up the floor frees a drop down kobe oh up high down hard kobe brought it very deep yeah blocked by lebron that basketball <laughs> will never be the same and we are back on Hardwood Radio Playoff Edition. Ben, playoff has started two games in each series so far. But what really caught our attention yesterday, we have to be honest here, it's the reaction of the coach of, well, it's two days ago, of Memphis, David Fiesdale, after the game. Yes, um, in order to put you guys in context, um, the Grizzlies lost game of two against the Spurs, predictably so. And, but David Tisdale was really, really, really upset that um, only his team got called, called for fouls. <laughs> uh, and he went on an all-time classic tirade after the game that, was, that cost him $30,000. Um, maybe it's a sign that I'm old, Kevin, but like in NBA playoffs, I am starting to root for coaches before I root for players. <laughs> Here, let's listen to the $30,000. It's amazing. With, with the way that that lineup played, Coach, do you almost have to go back to that in, in game three because of... Maybe, yeah. I'm going I'm to evaluate that stuff when I cool off and, uh, and uh, you know, have a glass of wine on the plane and uh, <laughs> look at the film. Oh, it was huge. It was huge. It just got our confidence back. We needed to see that we could still uh, compete with this team at a high level. It's coming. Um, it's coming. You know, it's unfortunate. <laughs> that a guy it's like brewing. Conley, who in his whole career has got zero technical fouls and just cannot seem to get the proper respect from the officials um, that he deserves. Uh, it was a very poorly officiated basketball game. Um, Zach Randolph, the most rugged guy in the game, had zero free throws, but somehow Kawhi Leonard had 19 free throws. First half, we shot 19 points, shot 19 shots in the paint, and we had six free throws. They shot 11 times in the paint, and they had 23 free throws. I'm not a numbers guy, but that doesn't seem to add up. Overall, <laughs> 35 times we shot the ball in the paint. We had 15 free throws for the game. They shot 18 times in the paint and had 32 free throws. Kawhi shot more free throws than our whole team. Explain it to me. We don't get the respect that these guys deserve because Mike Conley doesn't go crazy. He has class, and he just plays the game. But I'm not going to let them treat us that way. You know, I know Pop's got pedigree, and I'm a young rookie, but they're not going to rook us. That's unacceptable. That was unprofessional. <laughs> My guys dug in that game and earned the right to be in that game, and they did not even give us a chance. Take that for data. Take that for data. Oh, drop the mic, walks off the stage. And first of all, is he right, Ben? Is he on to something? Are the Grizzlies not respected by the refs in this first playoff round in the NBA? Um, short, story, short, short story, yes. 
Um, they're absolutely not respected by the ref, and but they they are facing a team that has the referees' love, respect, and admiration. Also, um, I haven't seen the game this that game in particular. I only seen the first game of that series, but um, these numbers are a little extreme to me. Like one player should not have more free throws than an entire team. Yeah, that sounds. That sounds ludicrous to me. It's a double uh, standard, but, right? Because you call more on one side than the other, basically. Just, just even because if you really want to take a look at it, there's always fouls, right? It's just if you call mm -hmm. them or not. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I mean, the numbers would have probably advantaged the Spurs because they're not a physical team by nature, and um, and they're they're play the game the right way. But these numbers were really extreme. But uh, I've read yesterday that the players won't let David Fisdale pay that, that fine. The players are going to pay the fine for him, which was a very nice uh, way of saying yes. uh, they, uh, they, they, uh, they, they, like, thank you for defending us, you know. But the Grizzlies also, historically speaking, um, have a, a history of being a very physical team of, like, brutalizing players in the paint. I probably played against them uh in in that game but um i mean i mean the, what's so what's so um heartbreaking about that game about that series is that david Fisdale knows that he's the first round exit because yeah. he's playing the spurs and because Kawhi leonard he's playing out of his mind basketball he's playing i think he had a 44 uh point per uh player efficiency rating which is unparalleled in the first round of the playoffs so far no, that's crazy. So, yeah, you do have that frustration for the Grizzlies where they feel they're, they're not even giving a chance to compete because of how they're, quote-unquote, not being treated fairly and the, the refereeing is poor. So it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they spent $94 million on Chandler Parsons this year, so uh, maybe they could have, like, helped themselves at being more uh, effective, but... Um, you know, that's basketball. You never know with these things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Another series that catches my attention. We started mm -hmm. in the West, so might as well continue in the Western Conference. Rockets, Thunder. Houston, Oklahoma. And last night, I think it was the perfect microcosm of that series. Russell Westbrook, triple-double, 50 points, the first ever in the playoff. In yeah. another loss for his team. The line might be important on the box score, but where it truly matters the W was not there for the Thunder. That is that game. I've seen it last night. It's the kind of game that explains very well the brilliance of the Houston Rockets and the Mike D'Antoni system. They they always run the floor. They shoot early in the shot clock and they multiply the possessions in the game. They cannot uh, players cannot sustain such an insane rhythm. I think like, I think an average uh, number of possessions in a game is 60 and a, a Rockets game has over 90 possessions in a game. So it's played fast, it's played hard and these guys shoot an insane it, amount of trees. It's, it's um, funny you mentioned that, Ben. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to go back to the, the Mike D'Antoni system and uh, the way you just explained it, I think I just caught it for the first time. I think I, I'm mm -hmm. grasping it right now. It takes a whole game for it to be applied to the result of that game because it's about possession. The most amount of possession you'll have 
technically you should have more buckets because if you have the ball 15, 20 more times in the entire game because you not necessarily use the 24-second shot clock, if you cut it down, they add up and it gives you more possession technically. And more possession could mean more points, but this needs the whole game to make a difference compared to the other team. So it reminds me of, in a football term, uh, Chip Jones a few years ago in Philadelphia, Chip Jones, I don't even know if it was Chip Kelly. A system of trying to do the same, to cut down the mm -hmm. clock and have more plays, to have more potential of scoring. It seems similar in the basketball world, where if you multiply the possession, technically you multiply the probabilities of scoring points. It is, and but the only two two other considerations to it is that they always shoot early in the shot clock because it's before the defense the defense is settled. Uh, the defense hasn't time to like because a lot of defensive basketball has to do with communication. Guys are just running back to the other end. They don't know what play is being played, and they're just they're just getting into uh, into their pick and roll motions. And that's why you need good shooters also. Like you need a dominant point guard. You need a guy who can finish at the rim and three good shooters. The, the Rockets have that all the time. Uh, Russell Westbrook has no problem dealing with it, but everybody else on the Thunder does. And you see the kind of game that like you're witnessing right now. I think this is an easy out for Houston. I think four or five games, unfortunately, for OKC. Yeah, exactly. You can carry a team in the regular season to a playoff spot, but to carry a whole team in the playoff against a mm -hmm. great Houston team that you have your equivalent, mm -hmm. like uh, Russell Westbrook's equivalent this year is James Harden, and he's mm -hmm. playing for Houston, but he's better surrounded. So, no, it's a tough task for Thunder to get back in that series. Yes, absolutely. I don't see how they're going to do it. If a, if a 50-point triple-double didn't do it, I'm not sure anything will. I mean, it's, there's always a chance that um, Houston has two or three duds, like two or three poor shooting nights. It's hard to envision, but it's always possible. A series that we were expecting to be tight. It is 1-1 right now. Next game is tomorrow night. The Clippers and the Jazz, numbers, mm -hmm. uh, seed number four and five, We were expecting to be tight, and literally so far it's one apiece, and we're looking at two teams that are going to look for uh, advantage because so far they split the first two games, and not any of them are looking that much better than the other ones. Yes, and um, the the problem, the main problem for Utah is that they lost a defensive player of the year contender, Rudy Gobert, 11 seconds into the first quarter of game one. Uh, they they eked out the first game with a uh, with a game winner from Joe Johnson, but um, losing a bear at the rim complicates things when you got players like the Andrew Jordan and um, Blake Griffin coming at you hard. Um, it might tilt the series even if Gobert is not in uh, is not in shape to come back. Because it's such a tight series, and that might be the factor that that puts the Clippers in the second round. I'm still rooting for the Jazz, but uh, that was that, that that was that was an intangible. Like it's nobody's fault, but like the backbone of that team, like the defensive backbone of that team, their anchor uh, is injured right now, and um, like he was the answer to the Andre and Blake charging the rim, and right now. Right now, they have nobody. Like They have Derek Favors to do it, but Derek Favors is not as physically imposing as Rudy Gobert. 
especially in the first round in the NBA playoffs, death is mm-hmm. what makes a difference, right? And Jazz, because of that injury, are going to have to rely on their death. And against a Clippers team that has some redemption to do because of the last few years, are going to take advantage of those death issues in Utah. But a team that does not have any death problem, they can actually not even have one of their best players playing at all with calf problems this time around for Kevin Durant last night still an easy victory for the Warriors over the Blazers and now it's 2-0 and this series look like it's going to be very short yes um, they, they got away with the win last night the Warriors without Kevin Durant which was uh, admirable and um, the, basically the, the, it comes down to the problem of Yusuf Nurkic not being completely healthy uh, for uh, the Trailblazers, he was healthy. He, he he was injured, and he came back for that series. And then he he doesn't move right on the floor. He's not quick enough. He's not as quick as he usually is. And and like the Warriors have a very sound game plan on defense. It's, it's don't let um, don't let uh, Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum shoot. Like let anybody else shoot, but not these two guys. And Draymond Green, especially in Game One did a wonderful job at leaving off Farouk Aminu alone on the perimeter just to tag team on uh, C.J. McCollum or Damian Lillard. Uh, Aminu like, took bricks over bricks over bricks um, and ended the night with a terrible shooting percentage. That's the problem with the roster construction of the, uh, of the, uh, the Trailblazers. They were built like a team from 2007. <laughs> and that's what is going to uh, to to cause their loss against uh, the best team in 2017. Now, in the Eastern Conference, so we're traveling east. We're going to Boston. It's a difficult uh, subject to talk to. It's a difficult time for <laughs> Isaiah Thomas, having lost his sister China. Uh, yeah. In the most difficult and probably the worst possible timing in the playoff where the team himself need to be focused. And it seems like, uh, for unfortunate and very tragic reasons, the team... You, there's two ways to deal with those type of situations, Ben, right? You either rally around it or it's such a deflating, terrible news that it's tough to get over it. And I think the latter is happening in Boston, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I think there's a little bit of that and there's a little bit of Jimmy Butler guarding him. Jimmy Butler, who is one of the best defensive players in the league, especially at his position as shooting guard. He he's like, he, I think he's like eight inches longer than Isaiah Thomas. Um, but there's a lot of things going wrong right now for Boston. There's a shitload of things going wrong. There's Rajon Rondo. Uh, suddenly remembering every play in Brad Stevens' uh, playbook. I, if you guys remember, Rajon Rondo played one year under Brad Stevens before being traded uh, to Dallas, and he is reading the plays and making huge defensive stops. He's stealing the ball. He's a wizard, that guy. Um, there's, um, there's Robin Lopez. Our Robin Lopez would be supposed to be still be on the Knicks Who's killing? Uh, who's killing them in uh, Boston on uh, the boards? Uh, Boston has been without any great rebounders for a long, long time, and like Robin Lopez is absolutely tearing it up. I've got scored and taken to double-digit boards in both games, and it's it's just a very bad look for Boston. Also, um, I don't like the body language 
uh, Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer talked about the lack of leadership. I mean, Marcus Smart flipping off spectators in Boston. Um, people, guys bickering on the bench. There's something. There's something weird. Like, I think they missed their opportunity at, at trading for a superstar they could rally around at the trade deadline. And if this results in a first round outer, uh, there's going to be hell to pay in Boston for Danny Ainge. Yeah, exactly. So it's for the Bulls. It's a surprising performance, though. So let's not uh, take any credit away from Chicago's surprising performance in the first two games. Of no, they're doing play. great. Exactly right, and it's surprising. And speaking of surprising, in a way, it's the Washington Wizards' performance. Uh, record, personal best, individual playoff record for Washington as well. How surprised are you by Washington's performance in those two games? I love Washington this year. They're 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 not they're not um, the best team in the NBA, but they're kind of a major league. Uh, you know the movie Major League overachieving uh, team. They got this superstar in John Wall, and they got these physical dudes with the good skill levels who just can push uh, push the pace and push uh, the action and. And this is what's eating up Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta is full of skillful players, but these guys are not the best athletes. They're not, um, they're not the most physical guys. And, uh, I mean, Dwight Howard is getting killed in the paint by Marcus Gortat. And uh, Washington is having free lanes. I think Atlanta is folding right now. Um, but they're very unpredictable. They could come back and win four in a row. Like, I don't, I'm not counting Atlanta out. <laughs> but they were definitely down right now. They're, they're in the ropes. Let's use oh, yeah. a boxing term. They're in the ropes. They're trying to protect and tuck their chin, but the onslaught is coming quite fast. Speaking of an onslaught coming quite fast, the Cavaliers showed everyone in their last game, especially LeBron James. There's an actual moment in that game where LeBron James looks at Indiana like, yeah, that's it. That's done now. I'm deciding right now that series is going to be over. And it seems like four games might seem like a sweep, easy sweep for the Cavaliers just because of their, their dominance and confidence that seems to come out of nowhere with the end of the regular season, but we all know where that was coming from. They were resting, they were mentally resting, physically resting, and now they're ready for their task. Well, at least LeBron James was. I don't think anybody impressed me aside from LeBron James in that series so far. Well, that's um, all you need. That's all you need is LeBron. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's going to. They're eventually going to need Carrier Vane to light it up and um, give give a better give a better uh, contribution. Um, I'm I I don't know. Like to me, to me, it was evident from the start that Indiana would fold in four or five. Um, I had good hope after uh, Paul George. Uh, Paul George gave um, LeBron a good run in Game One, but. They seem ready to go home now. Like they, they, they're halfway into their uh, their luggage. They're going back to Indiana, and I think that uh, Cleveland smelling blood. Like uh, Cleveland is has been playing uninspiring basketball still, but with the LeBron James that decides this is over. Well, it kind of is for a team like uh, like um, like um, uh, Indiana, exactly. Washington, Toronto. Especially Toronto, like if they can get past the Bucks, like they're a real danger to the Cavs here. But otherwise, like this series is cooked. Like it's it's, it's in the oven. It's done.
Exactly. Indiana can now focus on the Indy 500 coming late May instead of the playoffs because they won't be playing any basketball late May in Indianapolis. No. All right, let's move to the last playoff series that we're going to talk about today. The last one on the docket, the Raptors and the Bucks. And after a lackluster performance in Game 1 where the Bucks got the victory in Toronto, now Toronto made amends in Game Number 2 with better performance by Lowry. By the Rosen and Serge Ibaka, which you know you talked about how the Raptors could be a trouble for the Cavaliers, and I think that's the exact reason why they got the big man Serge Ibaka for the Raptors to give them a little help defensively and an offensive option when there is other ones and JV is not at his best. Don't underestimate PJ Tucker, man. PJ Tucker energized this team when he came in at the uh, at the trade deadline. Um, he bolstered the defense. Like, I mean, the defensive anchor right now is not Serge Ibaka, it's P.J. Tucker. Uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, that, um, that game where Lance Stevenson made a layup at the last second when Indiana beat, at the end of the regular season, when Indiana beat Toronto and P.J. Tucker right in his face. I mean, that is a culture-defining move. Um, they're, they're bigger, they're more physical than they were at the start of the season, and they're angrier. The, the Raptors. Um, it's, not, it's not a done deal against, um, against um, uh, uh, the Bucs because the Bucs ha- are, are 500 in that series and they're going back to Milwaukee and the Bucs are young, athletic, strong, and they don't give a damn. Like the Bucs will, will play you to the end. Giannis Antetokounmpo is playing great. Chris Middleton is playing great. And as long as these two guys are cooking, you are, you're going to fight for your life, but this game two of Toronto, if they can keep getting like the buckets they need from Laurie and the Rosen, um, like they're going to be a problem for anybody in the East, Cavs included. All right, just to get your overall thoughts on the playoff, because the because of the timing of the show and where the playoff started, we didn't really talk about if there was mm-hmm. an upset possible. Now, two games in each series. Do you see an upset possible e- either in the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference where a team, maybe Boston, which is now touted as the worst number one seed ever to play in the playoffs, uh, who wh- will there be an upset, and is it going to be Boston? The two potential upsets I can see are about, uh, the Bulls over Boston, which would be the second time an eighth seed uh, beat a first seed in the NBA series. The first one being the We Believe Warriors in 2007 over the, the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, I can see Milwaukee beating Toronto. Like, it's going to be a bloodbath, that, uh, that series, but I can see Milwaukee advancing and uh, knocking down, like, the greatest danger to the Cavs because they've got the skills to do it. They might be liking the experience, the cohesion, but they got the skills to do it. These otherwise, otherwise, like it's going to be business as planned. It's going to be business as planned in uh, the East, unless in the West, pardon me, unless the Jazz can pull the upset against the um, against the Clippers. But like otherwise, these are the only two upsets I can see. In our prospect of the week segment this week, Ben, you have a back to school special, <laughs> and yes. you have some for good reasons and other because well they have no choice or for a problematic reason as well so let's start with the most notable of them all the uh the bad boy grayson allen back with duke for next season 
Yes, so Drayson Allen has decided to go all the way to college and be known in pop culture as the last great villain at Duke. I'm not surprised that he chose to uh, to finish his uh, college tenure because um, he had a terrible year and he completely torpedoed his draft value. Uh, but it's causing a lot of problems for Duke, who has been killing it for recruiting. They got Trayvon Duval, they got Frank Jackson, who are caught behind Grayson Allen right now as a prim- primarily ball, uh, primary ball handler. Uh, this is going to cause a lot of headaches to uh, Mike Krzyzewski because Grayson Allen is good, but he's not that good. He might not be the guy you want to count on to lead your team to an NCAA championship, but we'll finally see Grayson Allen in the NBA, but only next year. Robert Williams. That was weird. That was weird. Robert Williams was, um, was uh, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months, I don't remember. He, he's a big, strong power forward for, from uh, uh, Texas A&M who was projected to be a lottery pick, but he's a bit of a project. Like he's a, he's a physical phenomenon. Like I rarely saw a big guy like making it to the pyramid, from the perimeter to the rim so fast, but he's not the most skilled guy yet. So he decided to go to uh, to go back to college to work on his skill set for next year. It's also uh, not as deep of a draft next year, so he's going to have a higher chance to go, go going top 10. Marcus Bolden. Uh, Marcus Bolden, well, um, he was uh, he was supposed to be a one-and-done at, um, at Duke, but he was caught behind Emil Jefferson and Ari Giles, so he almost didn't play. And so he's going to be probably a starter second year at Duke, and I'm fully expecting him to go in the draft in 2018. He's a he's a good prospect. He's not he's not a multi-dimensional player. It's a bit of a DeAndre Jordan type of picture, but he's a very good prospect. Miles Bridges, a name that is very suiting to a jazz musician. <laughs> he uh, Miles Bridges was a six seven. Um, uh, small forward go, uh, freshman from Michigan State who carried Michigan State uh, all all year long, although he shouldn't have had to, but he did it anyway. And I don't, I think he just didn't feel ready to go into draft. He would have gone maybe anywhere between nine to twelve, but and it's surprising to see a player like risking that much money to go back in college and like work on his skill set. But props to him, like. It was a big, it was a big boomer bust uh, uh, candidate. Like we didn't know if he would make it to the NBA, but he decided to work on his uh, on maturing his game, which shows well a lot of maturity. Oh, I have a question for you, Ben. Oh, in yeah. your mind, if you were like the schools, if you're either Mike Krzyzewski or another coach of a big school, and you kind of wish your players would go away sometimes because you have so much potential and so much talent that doesn't have a chance to play. How do you feel when a player you feel is ready for the move, ready for the NBA or to move on, comes back? You're just going to bench him? How do you approach that situation where maybe the team is not necessarily satisfied with the coming back of the player? Um, the thing is with uh, with college basketball is that you have to win also. And uh, it's a very... It's a very um, it's like physicality is a problem because there's a lot of 16 year old kids and there's a lot of 23, 24, maybe not 16, 17 year old kids and 23, 24 year old men. And like, you need like your, your seniors and you need your juniors in order to compete unless you have like the best prospects, freshman prospects in the draft. You're not going to be able to compete without 
uh, guys who are physically more mature. So it's hard to argue against having one of your veterans back, especially that like you're not going to have them back forever. Uh, so I think I think it's not going to be a big deal to make Grayson Allen play, especially that Luke Kennard, his uh, backcourt mate, declared for the draft. Luke Kennard should be a fantastic NBA shooter. Uh, he should be he should be he should be in the vein of Mike Miller uh, in terms of shooting. But uh, I, I, I think I think Krzyzewski is going to be very happy to have him back and uh, he's going to try to do right by him and help get him back into the first round in terms of draft stuff. Now, heading into the weekend, Ben, uh, it's the second weekend of the NBA playoffs in 2017. What game is a must watch for you? Which one you will make sure you're not going to miss this weekend? Um, that's a good question. I always want to tune in to Houston um, and um, and at Oklahoma City because as the pressure is ramping up on OKC, I want to see if Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverley are going to get into a fist fight. Uh, the beef is real and the beef is like ramping up right now, so I really, I'm really looking forward to uh, to that. Also, on, on top of Houston just being a beautiful team to watch. Uh, and that, and I would really, really, really like to see how Washington and Atlanta is going to unfold. Is Washington going to put the final nail in their coffin, or are they going to uh, are they going to drop one uh, on the road? It, that's going to be interesting. Ben, as always, have a great lunch and uh, have a great playoff basketball this weekend. You too. And you can follow Ben on Twitter at Benoit Lelièvre. You can follow myself at Kev Laramé. And the show, please give us a follow. Our Twitter account is pretty sad for the actual show here at Hardwood Radio. That's at Hardwood, R-D-I-O. And until next time, Ben, once again, have a great basketball. Likewise. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us sportspodcastingnetwork.com